Okay, so we are starting a brand new series this morning called The Comeback. And uh, if you are into sports at all, even slightly, then 2016 was a great year for you in terms of comebacks. Because uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, 2016, they actually won the NBA Finals, came back from a 3-1 deficit. Uh, no, no team had ever done that up to that point in NBA history. Uh, no team had ever come back from being down uh, three games to one to come back and actually win the series, and they did it. Uh, there's other pictures that actually show LeBron James crying profusely, uh, which is kind of typical of him. Right, John? That's what he does. Uh, but uh, I mean, there, were, there was great cause for celebration because that was a huge comeback, and it defied all the odds. Uh, that same year... There, for you Chicago Cubs fans out there, uh, the Cubs did the same thing. And there's, I think, only one of you. Oh, there's multiple? Okay. I, I wasn't seeing any reaction. So the Cubs were also down 3-1, correct? Came back and uh, won in, was it seven games? In the 10th inning, I think, they won, right? So it was pretty epic. Uh, Pastor Scott didn't leave us alone for the next six months. Um, he has the ringtone, Go Cubs Go. And uh, that was a, another amazing, amazing comeback. Uh, the following year, 2017, the New England Patriots <laughs> uh, pulled, pulled out a comeback mid-game. Uh, they were down by 25 points. They erased that 25-point lead and won the Super Bowl that year. They didn't win last year, though, so it's good. Um, but comebacks, you know, and we, we typically think of comebacks uh, predominantly related to sports because that's just, it's visible and it's there and it's, it's a high adrenaline and it's epic. Uh, but comebacks are just all over the place. I mean, we, there's comebacks politically, there's, there's comebacks all through history with great battles and wars. And comebacks always stir something in us. We all love comebacks across all different types of examples of it. We love it. If, if there's a good comeback story, we, we just really embrace that story. And it's because the concept of the comeback resonates deep within us, within every human heart. And the reason that resonates is because we all want to be able to believe that no matter how much we may have messed up, no matter how big our failure may be, that it's not the end of the story for us. We all want to believe that. We all want to know that. We all want to be able to experience what it is to come back from our lowest point and to still see something good take place. And as a Christian, you're familiar, we all are, with failing spiritually. We do it all the time. I mean, every day we fail in some way. And so it's very encouraging to us to know that we have a God who is bigger than any of our failures, no matter how big they might be. I mean, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful for the fact that I have a God who is bigger than the biggest of my failures. Are you thankful for that? God is a God that uses his people despite their failure. And he uses their failure 
to shape and grow them. And so what that means is for the people of God, failure isn't the end of the story. It's not. And we're going to look throughout this series at five specific people who saw that firsthand. They were at the lowest point of their lives. They failed in major ways. And by all intents and purposes, it looked like that's it. They're done. And they would have felt that themselves. But no, that wasn't the end of the story. And we're going to see how God invaded that failure, how he redeemed that failure for their good and for his glory. And we can draw strength and encouragement from their story because really their story is your story too. So for the first uh, example, we're going to be looking at Moses. Moses' story is what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to pick up in his story First, at Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15, uh, a little bit of backstory context. Moses, he's the one who um, his mother and father rescued him from the Pharaoh's rule that, that uh, every male child was going to be killed. They rescued him. They put him in a basket. They floated him along the river, and God guided him to none other than Pharaoh's daughter. And she found him and decided she was going to adopt him as her own. She gave him back to his mother for a while to, to nurse him. Then when he was past the weaning age, she gave him back to this Egyptian royal princess. And that's how Moses grew up. He was raised in the court of Pharaoh. That means he had all the best academics. He had all the riches of Egypt. He had all the familiarity of any Egyptian royal person. But along the way, as sometimes happens, he decided, that's not who I'm going to be. I'm going to identify with my true people. And the Word of God tells us that he identified himself as a Hebrew along the way. So we're going to pick up in that chapter of his story. Years later, Exodus 2.11 says, After Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people, the Hebrews, And observed their forced labor. Remember, they were slaves of Egypt. He saw an Egyptian striking a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. So this is, Moses just goes all vigilante right now. I mean, he's just, this is like the dark night before Batman. He's, he's Jack Bauer here. Right? He just totally goes off and he kills the Egyptian, hides him in the sand, just dusts his hands off. And then look, the next day, he's just like, life is normal, you know, just normal day. The next day, oh, I just flew through my ring. Wow. Sorry about that, uh, Leanne. Didn't mean to do that. My wedding ring just came off. I'll get that in a minute. I'm still married. I'm still married. See, that's how excited I get about the Word of God, right? Just throw my wedding ring off. Oh. Anyway, the next day, Moses went out. He's, he, went, he goes out. He sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? So, you know, he just kills this guy. Just get the scene in your head. He kills this Egyptian for beating up one of his, his fellow Hebrews. And he hides him in the sand and just you know, dusts his hands off, goes about life as normal. And then the very next day, two Hebrews are fighting. And so he just decides, well, I can't have this. So he calls him on it. And then here's this stinging question. I mean, don't, don't you just feel the heat 
of this question. Talk about tension. You could cut it with a knife. Who made you a commander and judge over us? The man replied. Who do you think you are? That's what he says. And then he continues. Are you planning to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Dun, dun, dun. Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. Uh, Yeah, yeah, what gave it away, right? When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. So what we see here at the very beginning of Moses' story, because this is really the beginning of his story, um, the, the childhood part is really kind of just his introduction. But what we see with Moses is that he had the right desire. I mean, we've got to give him that much. Moses had the right desire. He was trying to help his fellow Hebrews. He saw one of his, his, his brethren being beaten, and, and they already had a horrible life as slaves. And this just took it to a whole new level. And Moses just, he, he just felt like he had to intervene. He was trying to help out a fellow Hebrew. So he had the right desire, but he went about it in the wrong way. He got angry. He got really angry and he took matters into his own hands and he reacted in the heat of the moment without thinking things through. And then after that, he decided he was qualified suddenly to call out others when they're in the wrong. I know you guys don't have any idea what that's like, right? Never struggled with either of those things. Ever. Of course not. At some point, we've all been there. Or at some point, we all will be there, uh, where we make those kinds of lapses in judgment, where we get just so angry, and in the heat of the moment, we react. Or maybe we will see ourselves as superior in some way and more than qualified to call others out on all the ways that they are wrong. It's easy to do. But the thing that Moses' example teaches us, what it shows us, is two very important facts to keep in mind. First, it's that doing great things for God requires total dependence on God. Doing great things for God requires total dependence on God. And it also requires doing it His perfect way in His perfect time. We, we may all have great desires. We may want to be something great for God. We may want to do great things for God. We may want to help others greatly. And those are all good desires. But we can learn from Moses that if we don't depend on God for that great thing, or even in our own lives personally, if we want to kick an addiction or a habit, or we want to stop failing in some specific way, maybe there's something that's just overwhelming you over and over and over and you'd really just like to get free of it. That's a good desire. But whether it's helping someone else or helping yourself, the only way to truly do it and to get it right is to depend on God for it. We just don't have the ability in ourselves to do great things. We just don't. No matter how much we may may want to, we're going to come short. We've got to depend on God. And the other key there uh, is, as I just said, to make sure that we do it His way 
You know, there, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the, the end of it leads to destruction if left to the man's way. Uh, we, we have all these ideas of what works and what's good to do, and, and we can have all these great lofty goals. But if it's not God's way, it will fail. Because God's way is always the perfect way. And the other key with that is to make sure all that we do, in every area of life, that we do it in His perfect time. His timing is perfect. So we have to surrender to that. All the time we have to yield to that, to His uh, timing and to his way. So the fact that Moses didn't do that, I mean, we can safely say Moses blew it. He blew it. And he blew it big time. I mean, remember, he killed an Egyptian and hid him in the sand. I mean, who does that, right? He blew it big time. But where people all around him probably saw it as the end of his story. Like, okay, that's, the, that's it for Moses. No more Moses. And Pharaoh tried to do that. He tried to make sure that happened. People all around him saw it as the end of his story. But God, God saw it as just the beginning. Isn't that great? God saw it as just the beginning of, of Moses' story. When Moses felt useless, which he no doubt did, God said, I'm going to use this to work on you so that I can work through you. That's what he told Moses. We'll see that in just a few minutes. And the same same is true for you, church. I know very well what it is to feel useless. I know what it is to to be overwhelmed by the, the depths and the level and the degree of your failure. I know what that's like. I know how horrible... It is when, you're, when you come face to face again with the same failure for the millionth time you've failed in the same way and the same thing. You know that you've hurt countless people. You know that you have grieved the heart of God. And I know what it is to feel like, well, that's it. There's no point in going forward. There's no point in going on. I've demonstrated again how useless I am. I, I can identify with you. I think we all can identify with each other, if we're honest. And it's very easy in those, those moments after failing, after sinning, it's very easy to feel utterly useless and to hear that voice, useless, useless, to hear that just over and over again in your mind and in your heart. And often you hear it from other people. They're quick to tell you, you know, in one way or another. But what I want to tell you is what we will see here in just a few moments that, that Moses was able to hear, what he was able to see from God The same can be true for you, that you can, through the voices of criticism and through the voices of judgment and through the voices of of hostility, through the voices that just remind you over and over again of in yourself and and on your own how useless you, you are, you can, if you're in Christ, you can hear above that and through that you can hear the voice of truth which will say to you, I'm going to use this. You're not done. And I'm not done with you. I'm going to use this, this failure, this sin. I'm going to, it's, it's bad. It's not good. It does grieve my heart. It does cause pain for other people. God's not going to minimize your sin, okay? But he will use it to work on you so that he can work through you. It's what will happen to you as well. Just like we see 
that it's going to happen to Moses. So that was Moses' failure, his epic failure. It looked like things were over for him, but God redeemed it. God redeems him. We're going to see that. And God can and will redeem you and your failure all for his glory. Exodus 3, verses 1 through 14. Jump over there with me. Exodus 3, 1 through 14. Verse 1, meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, because he ends up getting married. He rescues these women that are daughters of Jethro, the priest of Midian. He rescues them. He has a dinner with them, and he ends up getting married. That's the long, that's the, <laughs> the, the long story made very, very short, okay? Um, So he's shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, let me just pause here because there's quite the contrast that we see in this story. He goes from adopted Egyptian royalty and self-proclaimed rescuer of his own people to now exiled immigrant shepherd, which, by the way, the Egyptian culture that he had been part of, totally despised. They hated shepherds. They found them to be repulsive. And so, I mean, don't you just see some significant irony there? How he goes from being one of the the princes of Egypt to now a shepherd himself. And it wasn't even his own flock. I mean, he was working for his father-in-law. So it's like, you know, he gets married and he ends up living in his father-in-law's basement working for his father-in-law at the local business. It's not a great place to be. And what that shows us is that Moses had to be brought low before he could make a comeback. Moses had to be brought low before he could make a comeback and actually be the hero as people needed. And that's pretty much always the way it works. I mean, I can guarantee that if, if you think back over your life and if you concentrate on the times when God did the most in your life and he did the, he did the most through your life, if you focus on the times where you had the greatest impact for God and for his kingdom, before that, most likely you were at a very low place. Before he did great work in you and before he did great work through you, he probably allowed you to get to a very low place in your spiritual life. And if you haven't been there, stick around, you will be. I guarantee it. Because that's the way he works. That's what God does with our failure. All right, so let's get back to the text. Verse 2. So Moses is there at Horeb at the the mountain of God. You know, he just happens to lead his flock there, right? Just coincidence. Then he he goes up to the mountain, all right? Then the angel of the Lord, who we spent a couple weeks talking about just a little while ago, as the person of Jesus, this is a a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus. This is the second person of the Trinity appearing in this form. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses, as any rational person would do, right, thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? I've got to check this thing out. 
When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am. This bush is talking to me now. Here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore, go. I am sending you, yes, you, to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt." I'm sending you back, Moses. Now you're going back. It's your comeback time, baby. That's what, that's what he's saying here. You're going back. Now is my perfect timing to use you. Before it wasn't. You went ahead of me. You rushed ahead of my timing and look what happened. Now you're a shepherd. But that's not the end of the story. Now's the time of your comeback. Verse 11, but Moses asked God, who am I? See the change that's taken place in Moses' heart? The obvious change that's taken place? He goes from the person that says, I've got this. No one else is going to make a difference here. I will make a difference. I'm going to, bam, sorry, Egyptian, no more. Then he goes over, guys, guys, you've got to stop this. And, and he puts himself in the place of, of governance and leadership over his, over his fellow Hebrews. Why? Because he decided he was qualified. He was able. He was going to take charge. That was the Moses before. Now you see Moses who rightly understands he really doesn't have anything of significance in himself. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? And that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I tried this before, God. Look what happened. Wasn't who I I wasn't who I thought I was. Wasn't able to be who I thought I could be. Verse 12 is a great answer, though. He answered, God answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. I'm going to bring you full circle, he says. Then Moses asked God, okay, all right, so say I go along with this. If I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. It's the name of eternity, the name of all sufficiency, the name of supreme excellence, the name of ultimate provision, the name of constancy. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Isn't that awesome? Beautiful. And what we see here in this interaction, we see the fact that God obviously used 
the wilderness experience in Moses' life to unlearn who and what he thought he was, which then allowed him to learn who God really was. And that is often the way he works with us. He so often works that way with us. Maybe you're in a wilderness experience right now in your life. Or, or maybe you've been in one recently, and it's still fresh in your memory, where you, you went through this time where it seemed to you as if God had just deserted you. You were totally on your own. No matter how much you prayed, no matter how much you read the Word, no matter how much you lifted your hands in praise, it was just like nothing was going beyond the ceiling. You felt dry and you felt empty. Maybe you've been there. I'm sure you have. I mean, I have. I've been in the wilderness And it's very easy to despair in those times. And it's very easy to wonder what in the world God is up to. And it's very easy to look at him and question him. But what what was true of me in my life and, and what will be true of me if I go through another period of time like that and what was true of you and is true for you is what was true for Moses in his wilderness experience. It's that God uses those times, the wilderness experience, he uses that to unlearn all that we have allowed ourselves to learn that is not accurate, that is not right, that is not beneficial, that is not good. We have this tendency to build up these ideals and assumptions and we cast them onto God and we see him often in a way that he is not meant to be seen. And we operate on our own preconceived ideals so much of the time. And what God will do graciously is he'll lead us through a wilderness time so that he can unlearn what we've built up and learned that's, that's false. And so that we can then learn the truth about him, so that we can see him for who he really is, so we can understand who and what he really is. And that's what happened in Moses' life. And as a result of that, As Moses goes back now to Egypt, this time, Moses' answer to his people asking, who do you think you are that you've come back and you're going to be our deliverer? Who do you think you are? This time, now that he's come through this this wilderness experience, and now he's finally seeing God for who he is, and and he sees God redeeming all of his failure. He sees God that that looks at him and says, "You, you could be done. And by all rights, you probably should be, but I'm not done with you. And he sees this God of grace who overpowers all of his failures. And he redeems his failure and he sets him out to use him in great ways. So now, as a result of all that, this time Moses' answer to his people asking, who do you think you are, would be, well, I know I'm no one significant. I know now I'm no one significant, but I know the I am who is. Now I know the I am who is significant. See, Moses came to the point of realizing that if his people were going to be truly delivered, it wouldn't be by his hand, but by the hand of God through him. And we all have to come to that realization and remember that in our own lives in our own struggles personally, as we try to get victory and freedom from the things that so easily weigh us down, and in the lives of those we try to help. As we're, as we're trying to struggle ourselves and we're trying to help those who are struggling, we have to remember deliverance comes through the hand of God, not through our hand. It comes through us as we yield ourselves to him. And it took Moses 40 years to realize it. <laughs> 
But hey, better late than never, right? And the best part of Moses' comeback story, the best part of the whole story, is that Moses' failure wasn't bigger than God or beyond his ability to work through it. And that's the good news for all of us, too. It's the good news for us. No one is beyond the ability to experience the same thing. No one. So, maybe you failed earlier in your life. Maybe, like Moses, you failed big time. And like him, you've kind of been in your own personal exile ever since. Maybe that's true of some of you here today. Or maybe your failure isn't really that significant or the effect that dramatic, but it's still weighing on you nonetheless, and it's just draining your joy. Either way, wherever you find yourselves there, Moses' comeback story should give you hope. It gives all of us hope. Because failure doesn't have to be the end of the story. It doesn't have to be the end of your story. Through Jesus... Through Jesus, the comeback is possible every minute of every day for all of us. One of my favorite verses that I have to keep coming back to myself over and over and over again is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and, love that and there, and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's the promise every moment of every day. Would you pray with me? Before I close this out in prayer, I just want to emphasize one more thing. Everybody in a mindset of prayer, this comeback, this great comeback possibility that we've seen dramatically pictured through Moses' story. And, and as we go through the series and we see the others that are equally or even more dramatic in their display of God's incredible grace to cover our failure, all of it, all of it hinges on one reality. And that is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you come to Jesus personally, admitted your sin, your need of the Savior, and asked Him to become the Savior and Lord of your life? If you have not done that, then as inspirational as hearing about Moses and his experience and his overcoming uh, the failures that he had through God and His grace, as, as great as that might sound to you, And as wonderful as the concept of a comeback might be for you, my friend, it's not going to be able to be grasped by you unless you first grasp Jesus. He is the key to the comeback. Only through him can you make the comeback story your story. So if you've not ever given your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now. If there's anyone who would say, yeah, I've really liked what I've heard today, Man, that stirred my heart, but I've never committed my life completely to Jesus. I want to just, I want to pray for you, and I want to be available to talk with you one-on-one, face-to-face afterwards. 
Is there anyone who would say, that's me? Just let me know by slipping up your hand. No one's going to draw attention to you or, or embarrass you. We're going to celebrate you. Is there anybody who would say, that's me? Okay, then my next question is to you, my fellow brother and sister in Christ. Have you been carrying around baggage of your own failure? Have you been allowing past defeat, past sin, past guilt to weigh you down? And by past, I mean that may even be like 30 minutes ago or maybe 30 years ago. If you have done that or are doing that, then my encouragement to you is what what we've just seen on display through Moses, that no one is beyond the reach of the comeback. And it's because it's not up to you. It doesn't depend on you or me. It's not anything we've done. It's not because we deserve to come back. It's not because we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. No, it's by the grace of God that is bigger than our failure. So if that's you, if you've just been weighed down and you've not let go of what God desires to take from you, I want to pray for you in that way. Is there anyone who would say, yeah, that's me. Pray for me. Thanks for your honesty. Amen. Anyone else? Thank you. Anybody else that I could pray for? Okay. All right. Let's pray together. Father, I come to you now in thanks for your word. I thank you for the example of Moses. I thank you for how powerful an example that that is, that even one who failed and blew it as big as he did, he was not beyond your reach of using him and redeeming his failure, all for your glory, all for your plans. And Father, thank you that his story can absolutely be our story. Different circumstances, different details, but the same end result. Father, I pray if there is someone here who has not yet given their life to Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them and the start of their comeback story. I pray for those who have received your gift of salvation through your Son. They're yours, but they they have not been able up to this point to truly let go of the failure that has in some way defined them or beaten them down. doesn't mean that what they've done was not significant. It doesn't minimize the sin. Rather, it just it shifts the perspective upward and it, it exercises faith. It says, we believe, though, God, that as big as our failure is, you're bigger. As much as we blew it, we believe that the cross of Christ covers it all. So our acceptance of your forgiveness is a statement of faith. And I pray that that would invade the hearts of those who said, yes, pray for me in this way. I'm struggling. I'm, I'm really weighed down and I need to get out from under this. Father, I pray that by your spirit, you would give them the ability to accept the comeback story you're offering them. And may we all be people who every day Get back up and go forward all in the grace that you provide through your son. And it's in his great name I pray. Amen.